Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. To the Torah study, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah. Uh, And uh, we're going to get into some amazing facts today about the birth of Jesus. Very interesting study. And it's no coincidence that each year as we celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah, we also study the life of Joseph in the Torah portion. Joseph is a Messianic figure in Judeo-Christian history. And he connects perfectly with the Hanukkah Christmas season because Joseph is in many ways, he, he is brought, he brings healing and forgiveness uh, to the first family of God, uh, the, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph is a story of miracles. He's a story, his story is one of redemption, uh, one of Bible prophecy. And uh, so we're going to get into some things today that uh, uh, will just bless you. But it's, uh, it, it's fascinating that, you know, our church is a church that loves to study the Jewishness of the gospel, uh, our, the Jewish roots of Christianity. And uh, in ancient Jewish wisdom, uh, they speak of two redeemers. Uh, two messiahs uh, that are both involved with ushering in a messianic era. Uh, uh, the one is uh, Messiah ben Yosef, Messiah son of Joseph. The other is uh, Moshiach Messiah ben David, ben David, the Messiah's son of David. And so the ministry of Joseph in Jewish literature and in Jewish thought is that uh, Messiah ben Yosef is to be the forerunner of Messiah ben David, David, uh, that he would prepare the world for the coming of the final redemption. Now, it's interesting that uh, in Jewish thought uh, versus Christian thought, we're not that far apart. The Jewish people believe there's uh, two uh, versions of the Messiah. Messiah ben Yosef, Messiah ben David. But in Christian, and the, one might come or the other might come depending on how the uh, Jewish people respond in faith. Uh, so there's two Messiahs with one coming in Judaism. But for you and I in Christianity, it's one Messiah with two comings. The first coming as the Passover lamb, the suffering servant, and then, of course, the final uh, redemption when he comes back uh, with all the saints as a conquering king. And so it's a fascinating study. Obviously, we can't get into all of this, but uh, anybody ever heard of that newfangled thing called the internet? 
<laughs> Lots of the libraries of the world are on the internet. And so between watching your favorite TV show or what you love on Netflix, surf the internet and study some of this out. Listen, listen to this. Uh, this is from uh, ancient Jewish literature. It says that the Messiah descended from Joseph will appear first to bring salvation to the Jewish people. However, he will be killed and the full redemption will be brought about solely through the Messiah descended through David, David. So you can see there's a little bit of a Christian picture there, right? Joseph comes, he brings redemption as Messiah, but he's going to be killed. But he will prepare the way for the coming of Messiah Ben David, Ben David. And it says, in the period of the Messiah descending from Joseph, death and sin will continue to exist. Huh? We're in that timeline right now. Death and sin continue to exist, but how many of you uh, can say thanks be to God for the greatest gift of all, that Jesus came to forgive every sin, to break every curse, and help us to be more than conquerors in all things. Amen. Amen. And then it goes on, the period of the Messiah descended from David will usher in a new world order in which death and sin will have no place. That's speaking of uh, what happens when Jesus returns and we all go into a Sabbath millennium, the thousand year reign of Christ, where death and sin and the devil will rule and reign no more and will have perfect peace, perfect joy joy, all the blessings in abundance, abundance, abundance. Amen. I'm looking forward to that time. How about you? So all of this lays a foundation that's often overlooked by Christians in that believing in the Messiah is a Jewish thing. Right? Christianity didn't invent the idea, the concept of Messiah. In fact, uh, let's not forget that there's over 300 Jewish prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah, and all were given by Jewish leaders, Jewish prophets. So uh, believing in Messiah is a Jewish thing. And so out of uh, the Jew, that's why we study the Jewishness of the gospel, because there's mysteries and secrets to learn that uh, don't diminish what Jesus has done. It amplifies and makes it all the more marvelous about what the Messiah has done. Amen. Now, most Jews right now don't accept Jesus as Messiah. Uh, there's different reasons why, but a lot of it has to do with things called the Crusades and the destruction of the temple, the Crusades, the pogroms, the Holocaust, and the Inquisition, all of these things throughout uh uh, world history, Jewish history, shows that there's been a Hatfields and McCoy type relation. You know who the Hatfields and McCoys are, right? 
Yeah, and so we're related. Jews and Christians are related through Abraham and Abraham's DNA. But we got some bad blood. Uh, Our church, in part, has been called to tear down walls of division between Jews and Christians. Amen? Now, I can tell you with 100% certainty uh, that in the last days, we're living in the last days, amen, that all the prophecies that God gave about the Messiah that were spoken through and to the Jewish people, they're going to be fulfilled. And there is coming a day uh, when uh, the Jewish people will receive Yeshua, that's his Hebrew name, we say Jesus, but his Hebrew, Mary didn't, Miriam didn't call out the front door when it was time for, hey Jesus, it's time for dinner. (laughs) It was Yeshua. Amen. And so there's an amazing prophecy that Paul gives in Romans 11 uh, when he's describing our relationship as Gentile believers with the Jewish people. And he said, we are grafted in. The Jews are the root and we are the wild olive branch that's been grafted into that olive tree. We're connected with our roots. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Daniel, Elijah, Elisha, and uh, uh, you can add to that list. But uh, when he's talking about that, he says uh, in Romans 11, there's coming a day when all of Israel will see the salvation of the Lord. That day is coming. We we tend to believe as Christians that uh, the big outpouring and the big revival for all of that will happen uh, when God raises up 144,000 Jewish evangelists and two witnesses. Many believe that's Moses and Elijah. Some say it could be Enoch and Elijah that never saw death. That will be two witnesses that counter the answer. Antichrist. So you have signs, wonders, miracles, the preaching, the revelation of Yeshua's Messiah in the face of a generation that's rejected God and is standing up boldly and saying Yeshua is Messiah. And with the help of those 144,000 witnesses, uh, I'd call that revival. So all of that is a precursor to our study today on some amazing facts about the birth of Jesus. And let's just start with Galatians 4.4. If you have your Bible, turn over to Galatians 4.4. This is speaking of the fullness of time when a precise time has come for the Messiah to be revealed. Now, uh, I want to read this from the Message Bible that, that says it very uniquely. Uh, Galatians 4.4, When the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his Son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, the Torah, So, watch this, so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. 
And that word law there, I'll read this. That doesn't mean the word of God. That means legalism. Two different things. Uh, Thus, we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. The coming of Jesus has set people free, redeemed us from legalism. This is what uh, David Stern in his complete Jewish Bible, I think I saw a net, you had a complete Jewish Bible. Yeah, uh, he translates uh, this portion of scripture as saying that Jesus came at a time when people were born into a culture in which legalistic perversion of the Torah was the norm. We weren't living by faith, we were living mechanically, just trying to follow the do's and don'ts, but not really developing a relationship with the King of Kings, but rather just following the do's and don'ts. I mean, that's a good first step, but that can devolve into missing the whole reason for the season. Jesus came so we could have a relationship with him, not so that we could just do religious and ritualistic functions and that's legalism we blame the jews for being legalistic but uh let me tell you i'm looking around and i can based on christian doctrines of some churches some of you ladies are going to go to hell because you're wearing pants in church So let's not throw stones at one uh, side of the equation, Judeo-Christianity, when we ourselves in Christianity, we can get pretty legalistic too. Those of us saved by amazing grace can forget all about. (laughs) We forget all about it. So my takeaway from Galatians 4.4, it's a Christmas scripture, That Jesus not only came to save the lost, but to save the Torah. To save the Bible. So that people wouldn't have a relationship with the Bible based on just legalistic, mechanical rule keeping. Amen. Amen. He's the living Torah. And he wants a living relationship. But it's hard to do that when you're legalistic about the whole thing, which in this case, back in the times of uh, Jesus, that had become the norm. And so when, so this is what Jesus is talking about on his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew five seventeen. He said, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. I am the goal that the Torah is aiming at. And so this is an aspect of redemption that we want to plug into every Christmas. You know, let's say 365 days of Christmas. It's vital to our Christian experience that the gift of salvation is more than just the do's and don'ts. We need some do's and don'ts. Don't get me wrong. How many of you are raising a child or a grandchild and you realize they need to understand some do's and don'ts? (laughs) Yeah? So just as our Savior was born into this world to bring redemption 
you and I have been born again into the family of God to form a relationship. Amen. With our heavenly father and his son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. So that's an amazing fact. Jesus came to redeem people, but he came to redeem the word so people wouldn't live it legalistically. Here's another amazing fact of the birth of Jesus that's overlooked in the Bible. And it's an incredible uh, prophetic countdown, uh, a timeline, a countdown to when the Messiah would come. And we can't delve into this too much for the sake of time. We only have three more hours. <laughs> Somebody's got to finish all the goodies. But uh, the prophet Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, you'll have to study this out on your own, uh, especially verses 22 to 27. Uh, this is about 500 years before Jesus is born. And the uh, angel Gabriel appears to Daniel and he begins to uh, prophesy and tell Daniel history in advance. Daniel wrote it all down and it's in, uh, throughout Daniel, but especially Daniel 9. And the angel came, Gabriel came and appeared uh, to Daniel with this powerful prophecy that includes a timeline. For the coming of the Messiah. And I wish we had more time to read all of this. Uh, Daniel 9, 24 and 25. But uh, it's an amazing teaching uh, that uh, uh, you'll just have to study this out on your own. But it's interesting, and here's the amazing fact about Daniel's prophecy predicting when the anointed prince would arrive. It was based on Nehemiah rebuilding, and from that time to uh, the time of the Messiah would be a precise time. And you, when you apply the timeline, you go from Nehemiah, to, and it fits exactly the number of years Gabriel said to Daniel it would take before the Messiah would appear. And, and I always had wondered, how did the wise men understand all of this? Well, because the wise men came from Daniel's hometown. Daniel was taken captive. He was in Babylon. And while they were there, the Jewish people flourished. And Daniel, being one of the leaders and prophets, would have started what's called a yeshiva, a school of study, a house of study. Very important in the Jewish community to educate yourself. That's what Hanukkah means. Hanukkah means to educate. And God just doesn't want us to have the emotional feelings of the relationship. He wants us to use our brain. <laughs> Being a Christian doesn't mean you check your brains at the door and just kind of mindlessly live your life for the Lord. No, you gain knowledge and wisdom and understanding and discernment. And you become wise, the wise men. So they probably in Daniel's yeshiva, I mean, we'll know this when we get to heaven, we can ask them, uh, that this prophecy Daniel gives about when the Messiah will appear was the basis for the wise men to determine when the Messiah was arriving. 
Uh, so these magi, very possibly Jewish men, right? A lot of Jews living in Babylon after that Babylon captivity. They made some divine calculations based on Daniel's writings and based on the timeline. And they come to Israel, they come to Jerusalem to worship the king. Amen. And you know the story, Herod was troubled by this. He was threatened that these men of renown had come to honor someone else instead of him. So he calls his advisors together. And they're going to review the prophecies, and they begin to make some calculations. And you can read about this in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew's Christmas story. Here's just a sample. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And he gathered all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people together. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. So uh, they come from the east, from Babylon, uh, out of Daniel's teaching and Daniel's prophecy. And sadly, Herod reacts to all of this with great fear and paranoia and orders the soldiers to go to Bethlehem and to kill the anointed prince that Daniel talks about. And all the, the boys two years and younger died, uh, according to Matthew 2.16. So it's reasonable to believe that uh, Daniel's prophecy played a huge role in the wise men determining when the Messiah would be born. And we don't have time to get into this, but his prophecy also is, is so important in determining Jesus' second coming as well as his first coming. Amen? So let's shift our attention. We're talking about some amazing facts about the birth of Jesus. Daniel's prophecy is but one of them. Uh, and and goes through uh, some other famous Christmas scriptures. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 2, verse 11, which announces the birth place of our Lord and Savior is Bethlehem. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Bethlehem. Do you know what the, uh, the name Bethlehem means? House of bread. Yeah. And it's a spiritual reference to the Torah. Jesus is the living Torah. And the house of bread, Bethlehem, is where he was born. But it also speaks to the work 
of the Messiah. Not just a, a reference to the Torah, but the work of the Messiah is to feed us living bread. We get our life. In Him we live. In Him we move and have our being through our relationship with the Messiah. And if He's the living Word, the living Torah, you can't have a relationship with the Messiah if you don't have a relationship with the Word. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, there's a very famous messianic prophecy uh, uh, where Bethlehem is called Ephrathah. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, least among the clans of Judah, for you, from you shall one come forth to rule Israel for me, one whose origin is from old and from ancient times. That word Ephratoth or Ephratoth means place of fruitfulness place of fruitfulness. And just like the house of bread, Bethlehem, describes the work of the Messiah, uh, so does this word, this name, uh, Ephratoth, which means that the Messiah is going to come and birth much fruit in his people. How many of you would say with confidence today because of your relationship with the Lord that you are producing much fruit? Amen. Uh, in your life, are you seeing people receive encouragement, people receive hope, people coming to the Lord, coming to faith, miracles, signs, and wonders manifesting out of your life? Yeah, amen. What's not uh, commonly known is that in ancient Bible history, Bethlehem, Ephratoth, uh, has a third name none of us have ever heard of. And it's called Megal Adair. And this name, Megal, uh, Megal Adair, uh, gives us some amazing insight about the birth of Jesus. Let, let me give you some background here about this site, Migdal Adair. Uh, it begins with the story of Rachel. Amen. Uh, and her husband Jacob, Rachel, and the birth of Benjamin. Uh, you can read about this in Genesis 35, verses 16 to 21. Uh, and in this passage of scripture about Rachel, Jacob, and the birth of Benjamin, uh, Jewish teachers have said there's a link between what's happening in Genesis 35 and the coming of the Messiah. Uh, Rachel, whose name coincidentally means lamb, gives birth to Benjamin in Bethlehem. And coincidentally, the Torah's first use of the name Bethlehem happens to be right here in this story about Jacob and Rachel and the birth of Benjamin. Now, there, there's no coincidences in the Bible, right? So when God lays things out, he's not only giving us what could be the plain and simple 
context and understanding, but there's secrets and there's mysteries. How many of you follow Pastor Larry all the time and you're, my gosh, does he delve into some things that I'm glad I know. And so there's, uh, in this uh, story, God has a plan for revealing some of the work of the Messiah. You may know the story, just before Rachel dies, she gives birth to Benjamin. And as she's dying and taking her last breaths, she names her son Ben-Oni. Not Benjamin, Benjamin, Benjamin. She names him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. Some of you are already connecting dots. But then Jacob, in, in what could only be considered a bizarre moment, he responds instantaneously and says, no, 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 Rachel. I don't, I don't mean to upset you, dear, but we're not going to name him Ben-Oni. We're going to name him Ben-Yamin, Benjamin, son of my right hand. And so uh, through the ages, Jewish scholars have debated what's going on here with this naming Ben-Oni, Ben-Yamin. Why? Uh, What does this mean? And they've concluded that it has to do with a mystery concerning the coming of the Messiah. And it forms the foundation for what is called uh, the two Messiah teaching. Uh, that is, the Messiah is going to appear one of two ways, either as a suffering servant or as a conquering king. Amen. Yeah? So, Jewish theology isn't that far from Christian theology. We just connect the dots differently. The first Messiah, as we uh, said earlier, the suffering Messiah, Ben-Oni, is called Messiah, son of Yosef. Joseph. Moshiach ben Yosef, because like Joseph, he's rejected by his brothers. And of course, the Messiah up until now, uh, in a great way, uh, has been rejected by Israel. But that's going to change. The second Messiah... Uh, Moshiach ben David, Messiah, son of David, uh, he is going to, like David, King David did, rule and reign gloriously over Israel. He'll be a conquering king like King David. And so Rachel sees one side of it. Jacob sees the other side of it. And uh, they have this uh, uh, naming issue going on. But uh, the great rabbis, this is all pointing towards what the Messiah will accomplish. So just after Benjamin's birth and Rachel's burial in Bethlehem, uh, Jacob, who in this instance is called Israel, continues his journey to this forgotten place called Magdal Adair. And it just so happens that Micah chapter 4, 8, you can turn over there, speaks of this place, Migdal Adair. And it says, and this, this is a, uh, 
a Christmas prophecy, as it were. Uh, verse 8. Oh, thank you, sweetie. She's my wife. <laughs> In case you're new here. <laughs> Micah 4.8. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion. Unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. And so what we've never seen in our English translations is that this phrase, tower of the flock, in Hebrew is Migdaladere. So it's pointing out a location. And in the, uh, the Jewish study Bible translation actually uses this place, Migdaladere, in the translation. It's the very place that Jacob pitches his tent after Rachel gives birth to Benjamin. And ancient Jewish wisdom confirms that the Messiah will arrive in Bethlehem or what is also called the Tower of the Flock. Migdal Adair. Uh, one of the Jewish translations of uh, the Bible, the Targum, uh, paraphrases Rachel and Jacob's story in this prophecy out of Micah 4.8, and it says, He spread his tent beyond Migdal Adair, the place where King Messiah will reveal himself at the end of days. This is our Jewish brothers and sisters understanding this. Now, I don't know how many of them get taught this in synagogue, but it's in their literature. So when you dig into ancient history, you discover something else that's amazing about Migdal Adair. Uh, it was the watchtower in a pasture just outside of Bethlehem. It was built as a lookout station to protect the flocks of sheep from robbers and predators. And Micah says this tower of the flock is the place of first dominion. And it's likely a reference to the first place that Emmanuel, God with us, will be manifested. Amen? Isn't that amazing? Here's something else that's amazing. Migdal Adair was actually a holy place. And it was designated for service to the temple in Jerusalem. Ancient wisdom describes it as the place the sacrificial sheep were put out to pasture. The sheep that were sacrificed in the temple were raised in Bethlehem, and uh, the, the epicenter was Magdaladere. And the shepherds were appointed by the temple priest to make sure that when the lambs were born, they were born without spot, without blemish, so that they could be offered in, in, the, uh, in the temple sacrifices. The daily sacrifice, the Passover, all the various sacrifices. A lot of lambs. They say uh, during Passover there may have been a quarter of a million Passover lambs sacrificed. Uh, during that season. So 
This is the same place that Jacob pitched his tent after uh, 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 the birth of Benjamin. And is he son of my sorrow or son of my right hand? Is he here to suffer or is he here to conquer? And so this ancient dwelling place is where the Messiah would be revealed. It's also the watchtower of the sacrificial sheep used in the temple. Who would have thought? And so it's reasonable to assume that they would maintain, the shepherds would maintain a ceremonially clean stable. Hey, bet. For birthing of the little lambs. Yep. So just like the sheep are no ordinary sheep, the shepherds are no ordinary shepherds. They're hired by the high priest. And charged with raising temple sheep. They, these shepherds, were the first witnesses uh, to the birth of the Lord, the, the, the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation. You might remember in Luke chapter 2, verse 12, this will be a sign unto you, the angel said to the shepherds. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, I've always wondered this. Maybe you've wondered this too. Why did the angels give them a sign and not directions? Maybe the sign was the directions. It doesn't make any sense that these shepherds suddenly, uh, seeing all these angels, just start running around randomly throughout Bethlehem and all the fields and pastures. Where are they? Like we're on a scavenger hunt. No, they knew something miraculous. They knew uh, that uh, 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 when the temple sheep gave birth, that the newborn lambs would be wrapped in swaddling clothes. Why? Because the newborn lambs uh, can't be uh, 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 raised with blemishes. And right now they're stumbling around trying to get their bearings. And the last thing you want them to do is to bang themselves up somewhere and become blemished. And then after they wrapped them in swaddling clothes, they laid them in mangers until they calmed down. The birthing place for all these baby temple lambs was at Migdal Adar, the watchtower of the flock. So the shepherds knew exactly where to go. So our Savior's birth happens in a special place. You know, I always, you know, there's no room for them in the inn. So they went out to a big uh, red barn in the back. This is the image sometimes Christians have. Oh, they went out into a big red barn and there was Charlotte's Web and they had all the barnyard animals and it was just a, a no, 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 no. We, we need to change that picture. Uh, God didn't do something random. He has a beautiful, majestic plan of salvation that included where Jesus would be born. In the same place, the sacrificial lambs were born. And at this historic moment, the Lamb of God, capital L, Lamb of capital G, was being birthed in the same location as the temple lambs for sacrifice. 
And now the angel, this is why we're all so excited, is because we know the rest of the story. That he may have been born a baby, but he is being raised up to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our Passover lamb that will bring forgiveness, that will break every curse and reconnect us to every blood-bought promise. Migdaladar. Perfect place for Christ to be born. Not some random place. Not the big red barn. (laughs) He was born in the very birthplace where tens of thousands of sacrificial lambs were born. And he was born to connect all the Old Testament prophecies and truths with this now New Testament revelation. And, And so it speaks to both Jew and Gentile. Amen? And that's uh, what I love about New Beginnings and Pastor Larry is that we're going back to find the origins of our faith and create the proper timeline and connect the dots, not based on man's tradition, but based on research, education, and knowledge and wisdom uh, so that Jew and Gentile together can usher in the coming of the Lord. Praise God. Okay. Let's see here. So, I just lost my place here. Amen. How many of you love the Lord today? How many of you know we serve a miracle-working God? How many of you know that the Bible is true when it says nothing will be impossible to those that believe? That's all part of serving a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Believing and knowing that our life is not just some random event but that we are formed in the image and likeness of Almighty God, and that uh, God sent Jesus in the likeness of human flesh to walk among us and dwell among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that we ourselves, not through legalism or being ritualistic or somehow punching a time clock, well, I went to church for 60 minutes, what more do you expect? I expect everything. And if you'll give me everything, I'll give you everything. From A to Z, God has plans. He is El Shaddai. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Yeshua. Salvation has come. And we are going to rejoice in that and understand salvation is just not eternal life. It's abundant life. Down on the ground while we're still around. I have come to bring you life. Yeah. Amen. And so as we go into Christmas, as we go into the new year, as we continue our journey serving the Lord, loving the Lord, believing God for greater things. How many of you believe God for greater things? He's not uh, L get by. 
He's El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough, the all-sufficient one. And we just need to let God give us some spiritual gifts. We love the gifts that are under a tree. Honey, you got some gifts for me under that tree? (laughs) But we know it's the gift that hung on the tree. And it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's the gift that brings us spiritual blessings, physical blessings, like healing. Amen? Anybody need a healing? Lay your hand on where you need a healing. Right now, Father, I loosen healing power for your glory. Your word says, by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. We rebuke the pain. We rebuke the symptoms. We rebuke the infirmities. And we loosen a flow of uh, that gift of healing. Physical things. Financial things. I will meet all your needs according to my riches in glory, saith the Lord. Amen. Now we know there's a devil that might want to stop us, but we are more than conquerors. We can do all things through Christ. Or as Brandon Reed's dad, late great Larry Reed once said, we can't lose with the stuff we use. Amen. So thank God for Jesus. And this study just gives us a, uh, a little bit deeper understanding and appreciation of some of the events surrounding the birth of the Lord. Our prayer is that this is going to be our best year ever so far. And we can say that because we serve uh, the Lord of Lords with a capital L. The Lord. And the Lord says, I have come to give you life and that life more abundantly. So, Father, we love you and bless you. And thank you that you brought us through another year to another Christmas. And we worship you and praise you and honor you that you are the greatest gift of all. And we want to build our relationship with you this year even greater than it's ever been. We want to experience greater things. We want to do greater exploits. Expand our vision. Expand our creativity. Expand in our lives the favor of God. The blessing of the Lord that maketh a man rich and adds no sorrow to it. Help us to be a blessing as we go through Christmas and into the new year. Help us to have our eyes open on high alert on how we can be a blessing. Let it start with our family. May we be a blessing to all of our family and share words of hope, words of life, words of salvation. And may it extend into the workplace, into the church, wherever we go. The kingdom of God comes with us. And may out of our spirits flow rivers of living water with vision, with ideas, with with solutions and answers. And uh, the best answer of all is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who has been born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen this morning. Well, if you got a little dose of the Holy Ghost, someone say amen and give the Lord a praise. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and we bind all those calories on the table back there and send them somewhere.
Love you guys. Remember Christmas Eve uh, we, at five o'clock. We have our communion candlelight service. Uh, that's uh, Saturday, and then Sunday next Sunday uh, you'll be at home with your families. Uh, we won't. Our main will be that Christmas Eve service. Keep pastors Larry and Tiz in your prayers for healing, recovery, and you just have a blessed day and a blessed week. Amen.